Your Locked On Blue Jackets, your daily podcast on the Columbus Blue Jackets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Blue Jackets fans, happy Tuesday. Welcome to Locked On Blue Jackets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am, as always, your host, Jay Foster. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank everybody for making this your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms. Whether you are a new listener or a returning listener, I appreciate you. So today we're going to be continuing uh, what I started yesterday. Uh, We're going to be Having a conversation with Micah McCurdy, who is at Ineffective Math on Twitter. He is one of the best fancy stats guys on, out there. And he has some really interesting things to say about uh, the Blue Jackets as a team and a couple of key players that we decided to discuss as well. So I will just get right into it. But for goalies specifically, you know, they're like I, I do a lot. Obviously, my, my sort of angle is all statistical. But when it comes to to those kinds of interpretations, I, I consider the data to be primary, but then when I interpret it in the light of as much expert opinion as I can get. So, you know, if I see Merz-Leakins with this improvement, you know, I would, before I would look at something statistical, or sorry, after I looked at something statistical, I would go and find someone whose opinion I trusted and say, you know, this is the improvement that I perceive in Merz-Leakins. Do you think it's ephemeral or do you think it's going to last? And I would get a technique-based rationale for understanding that. So it's not that I don't consider any of the other things, it's just that I start with results and then try to interpret them in the light of what experts, specific subject matter experts will tell me, not the other way around. Right, almost kind of like reverse engineering your way to a to a solution, I guess. Yeah, I, I find that a lot of the like old classical style, you know, the, the quote, old hockey men style, this I was just kind of a punching bag you know, more than a real thing, but is also a real thing. That mentality can be a little con- conclusory where you, you know, you say, well, we like this guy and we think he's good. And so we're not going to pay any attention to his results on the ice the, because we already know that he's good and which I find tedious. But, but I don't consider the work that I do. I don't consider, you know, good measurement work, no matter how good to be the same as good explanatory work. You know, you make the measurements and that tells you what it is you're going to explain. But then making an explanation for how that comes about, I think that's where you need um, specific subject matter experts that you won't get from statisticians that you'll get from people who know hockey. This is just so tiresome that the people who knew hockey for so many years were so much more interested in, in ignoring the results rather than interpreting the results. Yeah, for sure. I kind of, yeah, I, I get that a lot. I have kind of gone through a weird journey with with hockey where I wasn't into the stats. And then I was like, oh, okay, no, this this makes a lot of sense. And then I kind of veered a little bit too much into stats at the, at the expense of, I guess, quote unquote, the eye test. And I've kind of fallen into this middle ground of, well, sometimes the stats can explain the eye test. But the, the thing about numbers is that you need to contextualize it. And this is something that um, I was talking to Alice Luca about because she's obviously incredible with both the stats and kind of applying them and making them easy to understand. And 
you have to be able to kind of take a number and go, okay, but why is this happening? Instead of just being like, like um, a, a really good example, I think is Seth Jones, who a lot of people have just completely lambasted over the past couple of years for being terrible um, analytically. You know, like his his underlying stats have been getting significantly worse for, you know, two, three seasons now. But there's still clearly some value in his game. And I think he is much better than the stats say. And so that's something that's really interesting to me is, you know, you can't just take a number and be like, this number means that he's bad, you know? Well, these these kinds of, of like sort of key people, these sort of areas where sometimes it's people, sometimes it's teams, sometimes it's specific little results where differences coalesce, where differences of opinion sort of sharpen themselves. And Seth Jones is a perfect example, right? These sort of hotbeds of contention because you look at him and he looks great, but then you look at the results for his teams when he's on the ice and they look dire. And, you know, the, so you have to have some sort of explanation for that, for, for both of those things. And I find it less interesting in terms of arguments to be won or lost and where I, I try hard to not think about things in these terms anyway, but especially interesting for trying to make new progress where you say, well, what is it? What is it that we're not getting sort of from one side to the other? Is it that these things that he's doing, you know, is that they just don't matter? Is it, and is the reason that they don't matter because of something about hockey or is it something about his teammates in which case we should control for it? Is it something like, is it, is he doing something great or is he doing something that's actually useless that just looks great? Or, you know, you can, and any good answer to those questions is gonna tell you not just something interesting about Seth Jones, but something interesting about hockey. And, and one of the things that I find really encouraging about, about modern statistical work, at least, is that the, most of the practitioners and most of also the sort of, I don't know, consumers, listeners, audience, for lack of a better word, tend to have a broadly open-minded view along those lines where, where it's not so much people just trying to score points about, oh, I mean, there's some of that, but, but not so much of saying, well, you know, this is, this is what you get when you trade for Seth Jones, you're terrible. You know, he's gone to a terrible team now and, and their results continue to be dire. The, but you can have something, something more productive than, than just a yelling match where you can actually learn something about the sport itself. I mean, that's Seth Jones, as you mentioned, is, is sort of a continuing thing there. I, you, I, you know him very well from watching him for years and years in Columbus. And, and there's, there's not a great deal of consensus as to how those two things still manage to fuse together, how those two observations can be squared against one another. Yeah, because I, I remember looking at like the, like the underlying stats. I was interested to see how he was doing versus how the guys that we got for him in the trade were doing, um, et cetera. And I was like, oh, okay, his underlying stats are bad, but also he's just about a point per game player. And so it's really interesting to me to see how those two things have like could merge because I, and it kind of goes back a little bit to uh, what I was saying earlier. If you can't just look at the stats and you can't just look at like how he's doing on the ice, there's kind of a, a middle ground that that you have to find, and that's something that's really interesting to to me as a person who uh, is not statistically inclined or mathematically kind of minded at all. Like I was an English major. So this kind of 
weird gray area between two things is something that's looked super interesting to to the way that I think, I guess, and the way that I look at sports. Um, Coming up in a minute, I've got more of my conversation with Micah, but first I've got to tell you about Direct TV. Does it sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favourite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbour's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favourites together like never before, so you can watch your favourite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. I mean, no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and here's the best bit, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com, that is D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Compatible device required, content varies by package. Welcome back to Logs on Blue Jackets. Uh, thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms. But I wanted to to talk again a little bit about, or um, I want to talk a little bit about the power play and the penalty kill because that was the biggest surprise for me. Because the the penalty, the power play for the Blue Jackets has been pretty good. Uh, I think last time I checked, we were top ten in the league, which is somewhere we have not been. I think since twenty sixteen. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, so our even strength play is, is obviously pretty dire, but surely the special teams is pretty good. And then I kind of scrolled down and was like, ah, maybe not. Um, so is that kind of a similar a similar thing to the even strength play of we're just not getting enough quality shots and for whatever reason it's the, the low quality shots are going in maybe or something like something along those lines? So when you were saying about Columbus being high in the league by on the power play, you're talking about percentage of opportunities um, that end in a goal, I assume. Yes, yes. And so this is this is one of the um, so I think specifically, I mean, there's no question that those goals have gone in. It's not like they haven't. But one of the reasons that I don't look at the power play in this way is that here I feel quite sure that that the particular pattern. Um, is flattering Columbus a great deal. Uh, it's like a magnified version of what we were talking about earlier at 515, where in particular, um, if you score early in a power play, the power play stops, which is very basic, right? There's nothing interesting there, except it does mean that, that if you have a certain amount of fortune, um, then you can mask, you can really fail to see the underlying issues in the power play itself. Where if the quality, if the chances you're generating aren't particularly high quality um, per minute, the, it, when you express it as a rate, not as a per power play, because the way that the league stops the power plays when the goals go in and doesn't stop them when they don't go in, has this effect where it can make luck appear very strong, and so that can it, that censoring effect where the where you don't get to play the full two minutes means that. If you score early, you can look a lot stronger than you are. And so there, I think that that regression is probably coming. You know, where where I was waffly about the five one five stuff, I'm not at all about the special team stuff. I think there it's considerably more of a problem that Columbus really needs to look at, and not be fooled by you know not look at something and say, well, we're 
we're happy with how those power plants have gone and so we're not going to change anything it's always possible that there's something there that that i'm not picking up you know something that's not being some peculiarity you know you can you have space on special teams to run set plays and if you're running a specific set play that's that's really smart really clever takes advantage of something that's not systematic around the league then you know models like mine that are that are are never going to see that kind of detail um but as a coach you know if that's the case or you know if it's not and it's very easy to say to yourself oh you know we've got we've scored on eight of our last 12 power plays or whatever there's clearly no problems there we're not going to work at it but you can you can build for the future more cleverly than that if you say well you know we're going to enjoy all those points that we got but we're not going to fool ourselves into thinking that they're going to come around eight more for every 12 four power plays and so on yeah do you think that's kind of roughly the same for the the penalty kill as well because again that's much more in line of what i thought that the penalty kill stats were going to be like um and obviously you know it's the same thing if the goal goes in then the penalty kill ends is that this is, is it a similar story with with that like we're gonna do you think we'll regress or um get closer to the mean for that or do you think it's gonna obviously it's hard to predict concretely one way or the other but do you think the penalty kill is going to get better If anything, I think probably worse, although it may well stay where it is. The, what we were talking about before about Merz-Leakins is going to be more and more important. Um, that cliche about goalies being important penalty killers is not just a cliche. And you can really, you know, you can really show your value very strongly on the penalty kill because the difference between good and great goaltenders is really shown in the more difficult shots. And of course, the, the penalty kill is where the more difficult shots mostly live. So. On the one hand, you can accumulate information pretty fast about a goaltender that says that they're very good um, and on the power kill, sorry, on the penalty kill. And, and so those two things kind of dovetail together where the improvement in Merzlikens may well be real, but the, but the penalty kill skaters um, are still performing quite poorly. So, the, but there again, there's, there's a chance for, for a coach to identify something synergistic there to say, you know, this is, these two things are, are, fitting together in a particular way. And so we're going to try to examine not just the penalty kill from a point of view of what kind of shots we're allowing, but what, you know, what specific locations. In a minute, I've got some more of my conversation with Micah, but first I've got to tell you about Bet Online. BetOnline is back and better than ever. They've got a whole new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Make sure you head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas Kilo game. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, so there actually, the, the Columbus penalty kill has something a little bit curious to it. Where on the one hand, like in pure summary terms, I don't feel like it's very strong. Um, eight and a half expected goals against per hour is pretty poor, about 14% worse than average. And you know there are definitely worse penalty kills in the league. There's seven or eight that I can think of off the top of my head that are worse than that. But the pattern in particular is that they allow a fair bit of shots from the from the high slot and a fair bit from in tight, but not a lot 
from a sort of mid-range, um, which is unusual because there's certain power plates that really optimize themselves to that specific shot. Like Tampa, for instance, they have a power play, at least in past years, where they optimize very strongly to getting particular shooters to get shots from not from close to the net or from the points, but from the sort of almost the very center of the offensive zone. And that's a particular spot where Columbus is doing a really good job at, at keeping stuff out. So there that might, the angle for that might be sort of specific tweaks rather than just a, you know, the penalty kill is bad, we got to fix it and we got to hope that our luck doesn't run out. You know, there's, there's signs there that they're doing something really interesting, even if it's not precisely working the way that they would want for the long term. So there is one kind of small, small positive in the, uh, in the underlying stats there, I guess. Um, I do want to kind of like zoom in a little bit now and maybe look at a couple of specific players on Columbus. Um, and one player I wanted to look at specifically was uh, Patrick Laine, because we've heard all of the, the stories about how he's a phenomenal um, offensive driver or like offensive player and just pretty poor on the defensive side of things. Um, and so I was fully expecting to his underlying stats to kind of be pretty bad, but it looks like they're not nearly as bad as, as I thought they were going to be. Um, his offense is actually worse than, than the average, it looks like, or like uh, from Columbus as a whole. And also the defense is... Uh, about the same, if that, if I'm reading these these graphs correctly. Yeah, I, I haven't seen enough from from Columbus and Line specifically this year to change my opinion too strongly about his defensive weaknesses, which I, I think are are real. You always have to be a bit careful about this because it's another one of those areas where where sort of traditional hockey analysis has been misleading where you know, scoring players labeled as defensive liabilities can be a bit overblown sometimes. Um, but for Lina, I don't think it is. I think the, the standard sticker is pretty true there. And of course, he's never been a generator. He's always been a finisher. He's, he's very sort of, the, sometimes when I'm talking to people from Europe, generally, I like to explain him in a, a very kind of football-centric way where he's really a very pure striker. He doesn't you know, he relies very heavily on other people to give him the puck in good spots and, and is extremely good at finishing. And of course, he came into the league, you know, two straight years of just unreal finishing, um, but has never been a, a, a driver in the sense of creating offense. You know, he doesn't, um, he's not particularly good at blue line transversals either in either zone, uh, not particularly strong without the puck, but very, very good at actually putting it in the net much more often than you'd expect, even though his finishing ability has come down considerably since he burst into the league. Uh, it's been you know, very strong for the last two years. So you know, it's possible that the defensive weaknesses are mitigating themselves somewhat. I don't think he was a particularly good fit um, with Tortorella. Uh, I guess we'll see how he fits. I mean, we're starting to see already, I suppose, how he's fitting in the new system. Um, and I think there's improvement there, but I would need to see a good long stretch to change my opinion about Lina defensively. Yeah, for sure. I will say that the, I feel like the the 
graphs have changed since the last time I looked at them, and I wonder if um, I don't remember off the top of my head what they what they used to be, but I remember they had a much lower uh, offensive uh, impact. But it's it's interesting to kind of look at, at that and be like be able to pinpoint. Oh, okay, you can see where the the weaknesses in his game are and you can also like look at it and be like oh yeah there's that spot just above the hash marks that he loves to to shoot from and that's all i've got for you today tomorrow we've got some more conversation with micah about math uh but until then i have been jay foster you can find me on twitter at underscore jacob foster j-a-k-o-b-f-o-r-s-t-e-r you can find this podcast at l-o underscore blue jackets and if you have comments questions criticisms you can email me at lockedonbluejackets at gmail.com until tomorrow make sure you stay locked on <laughs>